Almighty God, be with us in our storms and help us to put our full trust in you. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. That was quite the storm we had on Monday night, wasn't it? We were out to dinner after going to open house at Overton Elementary School, and we could barely see our car through the rain, which was parked right in front of the restaurant. There was thunder, lightning, violent winds. We had some big limbs down at home. I'm sure some of you all did as well. But can you imagine being out on a fishing boat at night in the middle of a lake and having that sort of storm pop up? It would be absolutely terrifying. Yes, in the summer we do have intense storms that blow through, but the storms that blow most of us around are not so much meteorological as they are personal, political, financial, medical, or relational. And sure, I could list some examples of storms that you might be going through, but all of our storms are a little bit different. What is making you feel like you have been swept away? What is terrifying you and making you afraid? What just won't let up and makes you feel soaked? Where in your life do you not know what to do other than to cry out, Lord, save me? We live in such a consumeristic society that we might not realize how much of our lives we approach with that customer mentality. And when we think about religion, spirituality, and church membership in terms of what will we get out of this? Now, I could talk about the problems with bringing that consumeristic mindset to church, but I'll save that for another Sunday. Because one of the things that people hope to get out of religion is exactly what Jesus gives to the disciples in this reading. Peace and calm. Indeed, in a stormy world, all we want is some relief. Some of us turn to therapy and medication, which can be helpful and good, but those change us more than the situation. Others of us turn to substances, but the problem only seems to grow as our tolerance does. Or we turn to hobbies, streaming or scrolling, but that only distracts us for so long. We don't want a better umbrella. We want blue skies. And that is exactly what a lot of people think that faith will give them. Friends, I wish that I could promise you that your faith would save you from calamity. I wish that coming to church meant that you would never be depressed or angry or sinful. I wish that we all had peace and that today the lion was already lying down with the lamb. But if I told you that, I would be no better than one of those slick-looking televangelists peddling lies and heresies. And I would have to ignore the biblical text. Notice that when Jesus comes to the disciples and tells them to not be afraid, the storm doesn't stop. What knocked Peter off his feet while he was standing on the water was a strong wind. The storm was still raging, even though Jesus was there. Now, yes, that storm did eventually stop, just like every storm eventually stops. And then there are sails to repair and branches to clean up 
treatments to begin and graves to dig. It is, as one of the great preachers of the 20th century put it, what God gives us is minimum protection with maximum support. Minimum protection and maximum support. But I do wish that there was a little bit more protection for Christians who are persecuted in Iraq, for civilians in Ukraine, for those struggling with mental illness. And maybe you remember this Bible story just a little bit differently. Maybe you remember that Jesus speaks to the storm and says, peace be still, and the storm just stops. And your memory is correct, that happened. But that was a different storm. That was chapter eight of Matthew. Today we are in chapter 14. Sometimes Jesus does calm the storm. Sometimes he calms us. And when it's a miracle, a sudden relief, we generally all know what to do with that. We pick up the pieces and we try to move on with life and get back to normal. And if we remember, we say thank you to God. That's fairly straightforward. I don't think many of us have difficulty when a bad situation all of a sudden improves. The struggle comes when the storm doesn't stop. And so Jesus says to all of us disciples, take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. Has Jesus not read the latest parenting books? <laughs> Did he skip out taking Psychology 101 at Nazareth University? Doesn't Jesus know that you're supposed to let people have their feelings instead of telling them to change their feelings? Doesn't he know that you can't tell someone, don't be afraid, and that doesn't actually make them not afraid? Changing our emotional states is not as simple as opening and closing a hand. Not being afraid is far easier said than done. The help Jesus offers us, though, is in that short phrase that's so easy for us to skip right over, take heart. Well, that sounds nice, but what does it mean? How do we do that? There are some other ways that we might translate that phrase that give us a little bit more insight. When Jesus says, take heart, he's saying, be bold, be confident, be daring, be courageous. And essentially, that's what Peter did when he stepped out of that boat and onto the chaotic waters. Now, for Peter, a Jewish man who knew his Bible well, the water was even more ominous than it is for us. Most of us in that situation would be afraid of drowning, which is a very real concern. But Peter remembers from the creation poem at the very beginning of Genesis that waters are emblematic of chaos. The waters are something like an uncreated realm, almost the sort of place that we would describe as another dimension or a parallel universe. For us, we trust that even if we are lost at sea, we will not eternally be separated from the love of God. But for Peter, that certainty was not there because the storm symbolized not just death, but oblivion. And so Peter really does take heart. He has courage and boldness. Now the other disciples, they needed to see that storm stop before they were able to proclaim, truly you are the son of God. But Peter already knew it. And so he stepped out in courage. It's a reminder to us that it is quite possible for faith and fear to coexist. He was afraid and yet he trusted 
that Jesus was there to save him. Where does that boldness and confidence come from? Again, if I had the answer to avoiding suffering and making all of the storms of your life stop, I would give that to you. But I don't have that answer. I'm not going to lie to you and tell you that I do. I'm not going to tell you that, well, it's just your mindset. And if you really put your mind to it, the thunder would not be loud and the rain would not be wet. What I do have, though, is the assurance that we heard in Romans that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. There may not be more than minimum protection in this life, but there is maximum support to be had in Jesus. And that is how we have heart, to know that even in the storms, Jesus is with us. And there are breadcrumbs of grace found throughout Scripture, and they all lead us towards this love that is making all things well. One of these signposts that points us towards salvation is found in Genesis. Chapters 37 through 50 tell the fascinating story of Joseph. We heard the first bit of it this morning. So if you're looking for something good to read this week, and you can do this in one sitting, read chapters 37 through 50 of Genesis. Joseph was not caught in a storm. Rather, he was stuck in a pit, sold into slavery and certain death. And over the next couple of Sundays, we're going to continue hearing from Genesis, and we'll get more of his story. When we get to the conclusion, we will hear Joseph say to his brothers, the same brothers who put them in that pit, what you intended for harm, God intended for good. So I have no fear. That's one way for us to have heart, to be courageous, to trust and to live as if God really is up to something and that God is on our side. It's the same truth that Paul is pointing us towards in Romans, that salvation comes through confessing that Jesus is Lord. And I'm sorry if you've ever had that verse weaponized against you, used to literally scare the hell out of you. This is not a verse about eternal damnation, but about being liberated from all those things that hold us back from fully embracing and knowing the love of God here and now. And what does it mean to say that Jesus is Lord? Well, remember that this letter was written to disciples in Rome. So to say that Jesus is Lord means that Caesar is not. Now, of course, merely saying the words, Jesus is Lord, that doesn't mean much. We could probably train a parakeet to say Jesus is Lord. It's not some sort of incantation. Rather, it's a pledge of allegiance a signing on the dotted line, a reprioritizing of everything. Because when the love of Jesus is our gravitational center, then our lives orbit around his grace and mercy, even if there are some storms. But the storms are stormy. It doesn't matter how solid the building is, when lightning lights up the room and thunder shakes the house, we are frightened. And that's where today's psalm helps us to take heart. We heard the psalmist say, sing to the Lord, sing praises, and remember the marvels that God has done. In the midst of storms, sing and remember. The hymns of our tradition are such a great gift of faith. 
Consider that line, all my hope on God is founded, he doth still my trust renew. Look up the text to that hymn, or whatever your favorite hymn happens to be, and pray the words of that hymn this week, and see if you don't start to feel a little bit bolder and more courageous. Or get online and look up hymns from somewhere like King's College, Cambridge, and let the beauty of those words and music assure you of the Spirit's presence. Church music is a great gift that helps us to have heart by remembering the promises of God. Ultimately, where our maximum support comes from is Jesus. Our peace, our salvation, our strength all flow from Jesus, from that love that was made known when it poured forth from his side on the cross. And this love is given to us. We don't have to deserve it, work for it, earn it, even ask for it. We are already and always loved. And the word the church uses to describe this is grace. It's what we heard about in Romans. We don't have to climb up to heaven and make ourselves righteous, nor do we have to dig down into death and make ourselves immortal by giving ourselves a great name or accomplishing things. No, as we heard, the word is near you, on your lips and in your heart. The word of mercy has been given to us. The word of belonging has welcomed us. The word of hope has been promised to us. The word of love has been spoken over us. The word was made flesh and lived among us and makes us truly alive. Jesus, the word of God, is already in the spout with us in the stormy waters. Now, does this word stop the storm? Yeah, sometimes it does. But sometimes the storm rages on. But what never ceases is the word that says that you are forgiven, that you are needed, that you are valued, that you are cherished. And when we believe and trust the truth of that word, when the word of love is on our lips, then indeed we shall be saved, embraced by the love that made us and the love that restores us. We might still be afraid when we hear the wind and the waves of that storm, but the word of God is always truer and stronger than any thunder. In the storms of life, Jesus comes to us and says, it is I. And that is a good word.